Good evening. Our first song tonight, 876, 876. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed this evening we'll sing create in me Our scripture reading for this evening is from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 24, verse 16. Proverbs 24, verse 16. 
For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for another evening that we can get together with the fellowship of believers, Lord. And I ask that you are glorified by our worship today. Um, I thank you, Lord, for this place that you've given us to meet, to, um, to worship you, and also to, to hear your word and to grow from it. Father, I ask that, that you be with Nathan as he delivers the word to us today, that we have our hearts receptive to hear your words, and we're able to apply it. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Our next song tonight, I Am a Sheep. <clears throat> I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd, watching over my soul. My soul to keep guarding over me ever, watching wherever I go. And when the winds blow, he is my shelter, and when I'm lost and alone, he rescues me. watching over me. He is constantly watching over me. We are his children and he is our father, watching over our soul. Great is this love for his sons and his daughters, watching wherever we go. And when the wind Seven zero. If you can, please let's stand as we sing this song. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. You'll lead me 
Mark your books at number 189, 189. Good evening. I know what you're all thinking. Yes, this is real. I was tired of Steve being the only good-looking guy with the bow tie in here, so I decided I had the opportunity. I might as well go ahead and uh, wear one. Perfect. All right, so tonight, as, uh, as the uh, projector is given away, we're going to talk about failure. Who here, by show of hands, has ever felt like that young boy right there? I guess the chalkboard. Everybody should, right? Everybody's had some experience in life where they just struggled, where they failed, where they just didn't get it right. I've spent many a time learning my engineering skills, trying to just absorb it through the chalkboard because it can be difficult. I've made mistakes. I've failed at stuff. You have failed inevitably at something in your life. So today we're going to talk, or tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about failure. If you're like my wife, her happy place is the bookstore. And if you've ever been to the bookstore, you've inevitably seen the self-help uh, self aisle. Thousands and thousands of books all about how to quit being a loser and be a winner, how to change everything about yourself, how to don't change anything about yourself because you're perfect just the way you are. All kinds of, you know, you name it, there's an expert, air quotes, talking about how to not be a failure. The whole point of these books is they're written to make money, but they're written to try to give someone the secret formula for success. Overcoming failure can be hard. Does anybody know who that is? Jerry, I think, was alive when he was alive. <laughs> Tom, that's Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, among other things, is famous for inventing the light bulb. But you may, you may know, you may not know, that it took him several tries to get it right. In fact, it took, uh, history says, thousands of attempts before he finally perfected his invention, the light bulb. Legend goes that he was, a reporter asked him one day about all his failures, and it took, it took you over a thousand tries. Why did you not just give up? Why didn't you just accept the failure? And I like his quote. I have not failed. I just discovered a thousand ways in which it doesn't work. That's a, that's a great uh, attitude to have. Because oftentimes, our failures teach us stuff. And if we apply the lessons we learn in our failures, we oftentimes can learn to better succeed. So that's kind of what I want to look at tonight. And that's the, that's the goal of our lesson, is we're going to look at some examples of some people who failed in the, in the Bible and we're going to see how they reacted to that failure. And then we're going to hopefully at the end, we're going to tie it all together. And we're going to look at how we can learn from these failures. And help apply them to our lives. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. 
Genesis chapter 4, as you can see here by the title of this first one, we're going to look at Cain. Cain is famous for failure. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 4, if you'd like to follow along. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, while Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel did the same thing, brought an offering, fat portions of some of his firstborn livestock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. We see that Cain was, really, was a really good gardener. That was his skill. We see that Abel's talents were tending to the flocks, taking care of the livestock. A time came, and they both gave what they thought was the best of their talents. But we see that God wasn't happy with what Cain thought was the, right, the best thing for sacrifice. As we know, you know, the firstborn of livestock is, is what God traditionally wanted for sacrifice. And he was pleased with Abel's because he had gave him what he wanted. Was Cain, although he gave him what he thought was a good portion of his crops, the Lord did not look with favor. And at the end of verse 5 it said, Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. We see that Cain failed. Let's continue on reading and see how Cain reacts and how God reacts to this. It's interesting, well we already talked about Cain. We see that he is angry, he's upset, he's mad that his sacrifice wasn't good enough and he's mad that his brother's was. Then verse 6, the Lord came to Cain and he said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? In verse 7, don't you know if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But you have not done what is right. Sin is crouched against your door, it desires to have you, but it must not rule over it. What's God's response to Cain in this situation? You know, he, he looks to Cain and paraphrasing, he says, look, you messed up, but you know if you do the right thing, I'm going to be pleased. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get mad at Cain. He doesn't, you know. He gives Cain constructive criticism. He says, "Look, here's what you need to do to succeed next time. Do that." Cain could have taken that advice, that lesson from God, and the next time an offering came, he could have gave him the right thing, and God would have been pleased. But we see that's not how Cain. Reacted. I just love what he says in verse 6. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Simple for us to learn. Simple for Cain to learn. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But instead of learning from his failures, he acted negatively. Let's continue on reading. Now in verse 8. Now Cain came to his brother Abel and says, let's go out to the field. 
And while they were out there, he attacked his brother and killed him. He, used, he let that anger of failure and rejection let him, it gave way to sin. It, it caused Cain to stumble and mess up. It, ultimately, his anger killed his brother. Verse 9, what, what happens to Cain after this? He, he doesn't learn his lesson. He makes the mistake. He doesn't learn his lesson. And now he goes in his anger and he kills his brother. Doesn't listen at all to what God has to say about, you know, doing the right thing next time and it's going to be accepted. We know he kills his brother and the Lord says, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper is the famous line. In verse 10, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're under a curse, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. We see as a result of Cain's failure, his brother was murdered. He was cursed to be a restless wanderer. And even the thing that he was good at, you know, raising crops, tending to gardens, no longer would work out for him. Obviously, Cain let his failures get the best of him. Now, let's look at another one. Let's look at Moses. Let's get, let's get forward a few books. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. We, we can use Cain as, an, as a great example of, like, this is kind of the worst case. He didn't take his construction criticism. He took his failure and let, it take, let that failure lead him down a very dark uh, path with terrible consequences. Let's see how Moses and his failure and how, it, uh, how he handles it. Numbers chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 2. And as the board says, the Israelites complained, verses 2 through 5. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Mo Moses and said, if only we had died with our brothers when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us, bring the Lord's community into the wilderness? That we and our livestock should die here. Why do you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? We have no grain or fig or grapefruit or pomegranates. There's not even water to drink. The Israelites were good at a few things. One of them was complaining. They complained to Moses. We don't have, you, why did you bring us to this terrible place? You know, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Do they not remember the, good, the bad times they had in Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt. But yet they sit here because they don't have water and they don't have some of the luxuries that they had back in Egypt. They're complaining. They'd rather, they wish they'd rather have died with their brothers. So Moses, being the good leader that he is, decides that, hey, I need to figure out what to do. So in verse Six, he goes and talks to God, and God commands Moses what he should do. So in verse 6, he went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to him. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour its water out. It will bring water out of the rock for the community so livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, 
just as he had been commanded. So, again, Moses gets told what to do. He says, yes, Lord, and he goes out. So where's Moses' failure? Well, let's keep reading. In verse 10, when he gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then he raised his hands and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. Did Moses do what he was supposed to do? To the Israelites, they got what they wanted. They needed water. Moses gave them water. Was that what God commanded? Verse 12 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me, as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land which I will give you. Why would, why would Moses think hitting the rock was such a good idea? Well, it's because he's done it before. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Or excuse me, chapter um, 17. Again, this is a similar situation. They're another part in the desert. They're, the Israelites are complaining, we have no water. You know, uh, we're, they, they grumbled, why did you bring us out of Egypt? And then, verse 5, the Lord says, go out there. Take some of the elders of Israel, take your hand, take in your hand the staff, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out and drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders, and water came forth. He had done this before. Moses' failure here was not trusting and obeying what God had commanded. He just took matters into his own hands and said, this worked before, let me hit this rock, you know, you know I, I know how to do it, let me, let me do it, I don't need to listen to what God has to say, and because of his failure to obey, do it God's way, he's, he's forbidden from ever entering the promised land. Moses goes on to continue to be a good leader, but because of his failure to obey in the moment, his life is forever set on a path which he will never reach the promised land. And that's a lesson for us. Like we, we could have a momentary failure in our lives which have lasting consequences. We, can go, we could have a slip of, of judgment or, or, or make a mistake. But because we made that mistake, we could spend the rest of our lives dealing with the consequences of those mistakes, even if we go on to still be a good person. Moses had to live with this failure the rest of his life. In fact, we know at the end of his story that he's taken up to the mountain where he sees with his eyes the promised land and dies just before the Israelites enter it. He had to live with the consequences of his failure. The next one I want to look at uh, is, a, is an example from the New Testament, and that is Peter. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22, and let's take a look at what, what Luke did 
when he failed. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to start in verse 31. To set the scene, this is during the, the Last Supper. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows that he's about to uh, be arrested and ultimately put to death. He's talking to his disciples. Uh, and earlier, uh, starting in 24, basically a dispute breaks out among the apostles on who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus is talking to them about uh, whoever's going to be the least would be the greatest, and so on and so forth. And then he jumps down to verse 31, and he kind of changes his, turns his attention from the group to Simon in particular. Simon being Peter. And verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That, that would be a pretty... Um, disheartening thing for, you know, you're in the presence of, of, of Jesus, they're talking about all the things going to happen, and he's telling them, teaching them a lesson, and then he turns to you like, by the way, you're getting ready to mess up. And when you do, and you get, you know, you set yourself straight, you know, strengthen your brothers. To me, that would be disheartening. Well, what do you mean I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to fail you? In fact, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison. And even to death. He denies that prediction emphatically. In fact, I like what Matthew writes about it. In Matthew 26, verse 33, uh, he says that even if all of them fall away on your account, I will never fail you. Of course, we know how Jesus answers that. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. Peter was ready to go to prison for Jesus. He's ready to go to death for Jesus. We know that when he gets arrested, he pulls a sword and attacks one of the, one of the uh, servants. Je or Peter was ready to defend Jesus. Surely he would not fail as Jesus predicted. Of course, as you know, as after Jesus is erected, arrested, the prediction becomes reality. Scrolling down to the end of the chapter in verse 54, we see that what Jesus predicted about Peter failing comes to uh, fruition. Read along with me, verse 54. Then Jesus seized him and led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. P Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the country courtyard... And had sat down together, Peter sat with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Man, I am not, he replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Surely this man was with him, for he is a Galilean. Verse 60, he replied, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus spoke to him before the rooster crowed today, 
you would disown me three times. Peter failed Jesus. He had just promised Jesus earlier in the night that no matter what happened to Jesus, he would be by his side. Even as Peter followed at a distance to see what was happening to Jesus, while the others stayed away, he let fear get the better of him. It would have been simple for him to say, yes, I know him. Yes, I'm one of him. You know, take me to jail like him. That's what he was claiming he would do. Instead, he let fear of persecution cause him to deny Jesus. I just love that picture there. Maybe you can see it. Maybe you can't. But as the whole crowd and Jesus is in the background in the red, you can just imagine being there and seeing that scene of Peter saying those words, I don't know him, hearing the rooster crow, and just Jesus turning, making eye contact with Peter. And just, could you just imagine being Peter for a second and realize, what did I just do? He's right. I failed. In fact, the Bible says in verse 62, when he realized he failed, he went outside and wept bitterly. The realization of Peter's failure had a profound effect on him. But unlike the other two examples that we talked about tonight, Peter didn't let that failure define him. In fact, we know that once Jesus was resurrected, that he was, that Jesus reinstituted him, told him to take care of his sheep. And we know that later, when the church was established, the first gospel sermon was preached by no, no other than Peter himself. And Peter, for the rest of his life, took charge, you know, leading his Savior's church. Peter didn't let that failure define him. It's important for us to learn from failure. We saw that Cain learned, failed to learn from his failure. And instead of doing better as God instructed him, he let anger and jealousy lead to the murder of his brother and ultimately spending the rest of his life cursed. We saw how Moses failed to obey God's commands in doing God's things, God's ways. And although the Israelites got their water and Moses went on, we see that because of his failure to do things the right way, he lived with the consequences of his actions and forfeited the promised land. And we saw that Peter failed Jesus after just promising he would never do that. But unlike Cain and unlike Moses, he learned from his failure and it changed his life forever for the better. But there's another failure I want to talk about tonight as we close. I'm a failure. You're a failure. Each and every one of us in our lives have sinned and we have fallen short of what God wants for us. Yes, we fail in tests and we fail at work and we fail in trivial matters, but we have all failed to serve God as he wants us 
and he commands us to do. I go back and look at Peter and, and what he could teach us about learning from this failure. You know, when he was preaching that first gospel sermon, the people, the Jews that were there, when they realized that they had made a mistake, when they realized they had failed to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God and said they crucified him, what does the Bible say? They were pricked at their heart. They knew they had made a mistake. And they asked a simple question. What must I do? How can I make this better? How can I fix this mistake? And Peter, learning from his own mistake, instructs him to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So tonight, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never laid your failures at his feet and repented of your sins and put him on a baptism, we give you that opportunity tonight before it's everlastingly too late. We have a chance to learn from our mistakes and turn and better our lives. If you're here tonight and you've done that, but the, the failures of this world, the problems that you are going through, you're struggling, uh, we're here to pray for you for whatever you might need. If you have a need, please come tonight as together we stand and we sing.
couple of announcements to go with before we're dismissed. A reminder, a new quarter starts December 3rd and goes through February. Need uh, teachers for the pre-K Sunday and Wednesday and first through fourth grade on Wednesday night. See Connie if you can do that. Stepping Stone Supper, December 3rd. It's chicken and noodles. Uh, there's a teen gift exchange at the Williams House on December 3rd. And there will also be a college gift exchange, uh, college age and young adult, Wednesday, December 20th, after church at the Parkers. I'm on a prayer list. Remember to keep Chuck Davidson, Beverly Edwards, Friday, Nancy Black, Jim Martin, Carolyn O'Lynn, John and Brenda Klein, Marvin Jordan, Charlie Boso, Roger Pryor, uh, Pat Kelly, and Terrell Spitzer in your prayers uh, this week. And are there any other announcements need to be made? If not, uh, we will have a closing song, closing word of prayer. And if you've not partaken of the Lord's Supper, you may do so in the conference room to my left, your right, uh, during that. Before our closing prayer tonight, let's sing How Deep the Father's Love. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
Dear Lord, thank you for this day and for all that you have blessed us with, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to come here and worship you and learn more about your word so that we can take it as we go on throughout the week and just try to bring others closer to you, Lord. Thank you for Nathan's lesson tonight, and just allow us to use what he's given us and take it into the world, Lord. Thank you for the elders and deacons and be with them as they make decisions for our church, Lord. And be with those who are traveling and those who are suffering or sick and watch over them. Most importantly, thank you for your son his death on the cross for our sins. In your name I pray, amen.